You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Amazing Spider-Man, Episode 4B, covering a period of Spider-Man from 1968. This is our, our second half of our conversation on the Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection, uh, Volume 4, uh, The Goblin Lives. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your co-host, Frank Martini. So Frank, can you tell us what issues are we talking about in today's episode? Yeah, today we will be covering Spectacular Spider-Man 1 and 2, and then Amazing Spider-Man 63 to 67, uh, Marvel Super Heroes 14, and Notch Brand Eck 6 and 11. Now, when you say Spectacular Spider-Man number 1 and 2, we're not actually talking about Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, like the kind of the second second Spider-Man comic, right? Mm, yeah, no, we were talking about the Spectacular Spider-Man magazine, which was launched uh, and ran for a couple of issues in the, um, the mid-70s, uh, in the late 60s, sorry. Yep. Well, it was sort of an experiment that they did at the time to have wider book in a different format and trying new things at Marvel. So that was for Stanley and and John Romita, the idea was to have a more, a slightly different book with more mature stories. Um, initially, they wanted to have the magazine running in black and white, but Martin Goodman was uh, Marvel's publisher back then, hated the idea <laughs> and said that it wouldn't be very commercial. And the, the, the magazine in the 70s proved him wrong about that. There's a lot of uh, comic book magazines took place in Warren Bath and work in the in the 70s. But uh, so the first issue we were talking we would be talking about is in black and white, then in color, and then the the, the magazine got cancelled before the third issue would be would see print. Do you know why it got cancelled? Yeah, um, uh, well, Martin uh, Martin Goodman pulled the plug <laughs> literally and say that uh, he didn't want something that didn't fit. You know, on the spinner rack that that were in the in the Seven Eleven shops, that was pre-comic book shop. Such format didn't fit in the traditional way. It was more expensive uh, in terms of production and in terms of distribution. It was different than what they were doing uh, with their regular comic book magazine. Um, if I remember well, I think they were working with with uh, with Warren Publishing to to get this distributed and so on, which was different than what they were doing in, uh, in the first, traditionally. Right. Uh, so that led him to cancel the line, even though it was it was selling pretty well. And uh, they found out afterwards that the book was selling very, very well and making, uh, could have been making a lot of profits, but yeah. uh, well, uh, it stopped right there. 
they probably would have had to get another artist if they were going to do this on a regular basis because John Romita does this these 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 are two 60 page stories it came the magazine <clears throat> came out quarterly but these are two 60 page stories that he was doing in addition to his work on Spider-Man and whatever whatever else contract work he had uh, like that's a lot of work and you can tell in these issues that he puts everything he can into the artwork of these these thirty five cent specials. Yeah, he, he really took uh, a lot of time to work on the uh, on the book, and that's the reason why uh, we had Don Heck uh, finishing the the Amazing Spider Man regular issues right on the on the monthly book. And what we what have also found out is that the the third issues was finished at two-thirds, uh, and it was supposed to be uh, John Romita and Murray Severin collaboration, which has never been printed. I've never, I've been digging and never, haven't been able to find any art uh, of that, but oh, uh, that, that could have been great. And well, apparently it sort of tied with the, the, the prowler uh, issues that we will get in, in volume five, sort of tied with that. But that's, uh, well, maybe 40 or 30 pages of Romita art, which are out there. Uh, <laughs> Somewhere, yeah. Somewhere, yes. Oh, man, that'll be the day when they someone uncovers yeah, that yeah. treasure. Wow. Mm, yeah, because someone could finish it. You know, having someone like Ron Friends, for instance, would be a, a good fit to, to finish uh, such a classic story. Totally. And uh, that, 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 could be, that could be great. Yeah, that would be similar to the Fantastic Four story that Ron Friends did based on mm -hmm. uh, the old Lee Kirby Lost yeah. script. Exactly. Uh, the, the one which was reprinted, I think, in the, in the very recent At War with Atlantis That's right. uh, Fantastic Four collection, right? This Spider-Man magazine was ahead of its time. Obviously, Martin Goodwin didn't have faith in it, but once the 70s, once the 70s hits, Marvel goes bananas with their magazines, and like they have the Hulk has his own magazine, and there's like all of these horror magazines, Monsters Unleashed, and, and Dracula Lives, and and uh, everything. Like there's there's just so much more content, bizarre adventures, and Epic Illustrated. Obviously, uh, they did really well for Marvel at that point. And if Spider-Man, if this Spider-Man magazine had launched then, it probably would have still gone for a, a number of years. Yeah, because I, I think it was a, a different approach than what they were trying to do with the annuals. Uh, once again, they wanted to do some more slightly different stories, and we will see that those stories are would maybe wouldn't have worked in the regular magazine at the time, in the regular book, uh, and also that I think that those '70s magazine in black and white. Uh, well, obviously the, the 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 Hulk one comes to my mind because of the of the Moon Knight backup by by Bill Sinkiewicz, right? Uh, that were initiated there, uh, but the, the, it was a way for them to experiment. Uh, in new ways of doing stories and I, I think that changed a lot of things in the way they were doing uh, in what they were doing and experimenting a lot more I think we also see some European influence here because in the 60s in the late 60s here I think titles like Tintin and Asterix were becoming quite popular in America like they were they were coming over and being translated kind of for the first time and mm -hmm. those are longer form stories in a different, like a larger format, larger art size uh, mm. than typical American comic books. 
And I feel like that a lot of these magazines were trying to uh, capitalize on that popularity as well. Yeah, the, I have a reprint version of the of the Spectacular Spider-Man magazine one, and yes, the format is very close to that. Uh, it's um, it's also close to the, the the format they will be using in the eighties when they launched their graphic novel line. Right, sort of the same kind of format and layout, uh, which gives a lot of space to the arts. So that's really nice. And I really wish I, I could get a copy of of, of number two, which uh, I have in the obviously in this collection, and I have the annual that reprints uh, a good chunk of it. But uh, I guess the, the the original one must be glorious. Yeah. So actually, I have a comment from a listener that ties into to what you just said here. Um, I want to mm-hmm. read this. This is a, we did comments in the last episode, but this one came in after we recorded it. So I wanted to make sure we said this. Steve says. Mm-hmm that the issues in this volume are the comics that led me to become a Marvel Comics fanboy at age nine, so I probably read them to death. I remember being really worried about Spider-Man after he injured his arm at the end of issue number 63. How could he still fight the Vulture? Some of the great stories with Doc Ock and the Kingpin, Mysterio, and the Goblin, plus those great guest shots from Medusa and Kazar. Those spectacular Spider-Man magazines were impossible to find. My buddy and I looked everywhere. I finally found one at the Target, mingled in with Life and Family Circle magazines by the cash register. At 35 cents, they were three times the price of a regular comic. Then to discover that it was black and white seemed like a ripoff. I never did find the second issue until years later. <laughs> yeah, it's a great comment because it really ties with uh, what I uh, what I read online and, and in uh, Romita interviews where he mentioned that uh, the magazine format didn't work with the, 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 the rest of the comic book. So... Mm, makes sense that it was harder to find yeah um, and also the fact that maybe there was a, a distribution problem or a different type of distribution than regular comics which made it harder to find very likely right yeah definitely Well, let's go into our issues. We're starting with the Spectacular Spider-Man number one that we've been talking about already, but let's talk about the story. This is a 60-page story, and uh, we are introduced right in the splash page to a new character that we're going to meet. His name is Richard Rowley. And Richard Rowley is trying to become um, a politician. And I guess that there is, like, he's going to be mayor, mayor of New York, and there's an election coming up. And it appears that um, the underworld is really mad at Richard Rowley. They want him dead. And so uh, right at the beginning, there's this giant monster of a man. They call him the Man Mon- Mountain, uh, who's destroying a billboard of Richard Rowley. And, that, and Spider-Man faces off of him. So the, the whole story starts off with a bang. And we, um, and this this big monster will come up, come back at the climax of the issue as well. But the whole issue is very interesting because it's kind of a detective story for Spider-Man, mm-hmm. as he finds out more about Richard Rowley. He finds out more about the underworld people who are trying to kill him, and puts the pieces together. And really, most of the issue is um, is actually focused on Peter Parker doing detective work rather than Spider-Man swinging around. It's kind of actually. Um, the opposite 
opposite of what happens in the next in the in the second issue, which we'll talk about at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the very end, this is the spoiler for the issue. We find out that Rally is is sabotaging himself to make him sympathetic in the eyes of the public. And it backfires, of course, and he dies in a battle between Spider-Man and the Man Mountain. The Man Mountain dies as well. What are your thoughts on this issue? Um, well, it, it's uh, it's uh, always complicated for me to, to to read this material because I read the stories in the first place in Amazing Spider-Man uh, 116 to 118. Okay. So, uh, you know, if you have volume 7 of, uh, of Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collections, you will find those reintegrated into the current stories that, that were happening at the time. So right. right after the very long fight between uh, Dr. Octopus and uh, Hammerhead uh, comes this story. So for me, the story is different, is slightly different than what I've read, which was sort of confusing for me because I remember that there was another character and an, uh, another villain called the Skimmer, but uh, I didn't see it. And I think that, uh, so I was very confused trying to uh, separate what I what I had read in volume 7 and what I was currently reading. Um, so I enjoyed the black and white art because I thought it was a fascinating change versus yeah. the, the, the regular stuff. I also very much enjoyed the combination of the work between John Romita and Jim Mooney and, uh, and I think that it's the beginning of, the, of their collaboration but I think it's a, it's a great combo. My main concern really is the fact that we find out rather quickly that Richard Rady has his craves for power and wants to do anything which is possible to to get to the level of power he wants to he wants to reach and it sort of spoils yeah the, 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 from the beginning the, the the main thing and the main theme of the story it's true it undermines all of the detective work that peter is doing because it's not a mystery to us um mm. we kind of figure that out right away that that's a good point for sure and and that's not the way it works in the when it's reworked in the, in Amazing Spider-Man in the regular book when it's reused slash reprinted as you wish. Um, so that's my my main concern about it. The rest is uh, we, we we got some really fantastic art and the, and the shades of gray we see in the inks and the, it's a darker story than what we would see in general. I think. It doesn't tie with the rest of the flow also, uh, so it's not really positioned as a continuation or as located in the main book. Uh, yeah. Because as we speak, Gwen and uh, and Peter are not in speaking terms. Captain Stacy is recovering from the brain washer machine he went through in the, 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 the last few issues of Amazing Spidey. So it doesn't really tie in with the, the, the main book, which I think was the point of having a different format. But that's a minor complaint, really. It's it's interesting because the second issue, when the Goblin returns, does tie in to the main mm. story in that sense. But there's continuity issues with that issue as well. Yeah, the, the mm. placement of this issue can't be placed anywhere else. Um, because of the events that are happening in the lives of these these characters here, um, 
Mary Jane's hair is long, mm -hmm. and so it has to happen before she has short hair in the regular main series. However, Gwen Stacy um, is supposed to be mad at Peter, like you said. Like she's supposed to be really upset with Peter right now, and that story doesn't get resolved for a number of issues still after after this this magazine. So there there is no actual and and when sorry and when they when they are resolved, Mary Jane has her short hair. So there's no place where this can go in this collection where it will be co accurate in terms of continuity. But it could fit at the middle of something like issue for 59, you know, the one with the, begin the beginning of the brainwasher, brainwasher story. So it could... I thought about that too, but it can't because... It can't go there because Peter meets Captain Stacy in this story for the first time, and oh, then yeah, all of a right. sudden the ball gets rolling and they just go on to this adventure, and then Gwen Stacy mm. gets mad. So in this one, mm. he and Peter have already met. It's well established mm -hmm. that they know each other, and, and Gwen's already happy at him. So there really is no place where this story can go. Mm. <laughs> I like, so I like uh, talking about that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the kind of things that you're you're obliged to 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 go and start digging and say, okay, it could fit into page eleven and twelve of this yeah. issue. I mean, it's ridiculous, but that's the fun part of it. It is, but you you mm. can't find that point in this story at all. You can't find that because of the fact that Peter no. and and Captain Stacy meet in the previous um, brainwashing story. Uh, I love the fact that this issue is a political issue. We're talking about political matters. Which is something which I don't think we've ever seen before in Amazing Spider-Man. Well, I very much doubt it. It's not a theme that we will see very frequently. Uh, most of the time, whenever we see politicians, they are crooked politicians, uh, which uh, is the case here as well. But it's also interesting to see the involvement of uh, of MJ and uh, and of of the young kids very uh, into politics, which we would see uh, with very frequent protests at the ESU. Uh, we would get more political afterwards in the general aspect of the of the stories. Right. But I think it's a it's a good try of uh, from Stanley to try and be relevant and to fit into the, the the moods of the time. It it does seem dated in the sense that like they're just they're passing around these buttons and stuff and uh, I don't that's not how politicians usually campaign these days. And um, and especially with uh, in when we're going to see at the very beginning of volume five with the the protests at the university, mm -hmm. that's also something that's very much out of this era, the late the late sixties. Mm -hmm. uh, let's touch on the art for a little bit here. I mentioned in the last episode that an inker will ink uh, a page differently if they know that it's going to be in black and white. Um, they they will make uh, allotments in the way that they ink for color. And so I wanted to point out a few different things. Uh, it's mainly in the shading. Uh, if you go mm -hmm. to page, let's say, page 233. Now, I don't know because there's so many pages in this issue. I don't know what the actual page number is in this issue. But Peter Parker has just turned off the lights in the club and he's crawling on the ceiling in the dark so that no one will be able to see him because he doesn't have his Spider-Man costume. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the last, the biggest panel at the very bottom where he's on the ceiling... He's saying, if they dig up a flashlight, that'll be the end of my secret identity bit. And you can see the ceiling has, uh, it's it's black, 
And then the mm-hmm. part that's light actually has a lot of just lines to indicate that it's still dark. Um, mm-hmm. So Jim Mooney, when he's doing his inks, adds a lot of these lines for the shading to indicate the different levels of darkness, which he mm-hmm. wouldn't do really if he, if he's inking a page that has color because he would allow the color to do that because then you'd place like, you know, a dark purple there or something like that. Um, blue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the difference here. He also will put a lot more um, detail in clothing to show the difference. That, like, I know that a, an inker will put darker shades or whatever in, in clothing to indicate the folds in the fabric and such, but Jim Mooney does it more in order to to show, to give off texture of fabric. And, and that kind of thing. So it's a little bit different. I like the I like his inks here. I think it's really, really good stuff. And mm. uh, and he does a wonderful job with um, I don't know if he's in charge of the ink washes that that also go throughout this issue because it doesn't really credit that. Mm. But I think he does. So that also means that he's inking with the fact that he's putting ink washes in in mind. That's a lot of work. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, you see that. You can see that there's a lot of detail and uh, um, th- there's a huge amount of work which was done in the, in this magazine that it clearly shows. By the way, the, the page mentioned is redrawn in the, when it's reprinted. Oh, which I should have looked at Right, I should have looked at it. Redrawn. And they are fully redrawn uh, because they are faded out a bit. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's three issues that they are turning out of this uh, this one. Yeah. And those pages are in, are in dark blue uh, with a completely different look and feel. Uh, and, and a different tension also when uh, Peter is trying to prevent the building from, from collapsing. Uh, right. So it's completely it's completely different. Uh, it takes longer and uh, uh, and visually it's a different. It, it, those are different pages. Yeah. So that's that's good actually. If you want to pull out that volume, if you have a copy of Goblin's Last Stand, to compare the inking styles with those redrawn panels because those ones are inked differently to allow for color for sure. Mm. Um, I noted something which made me like this is so wrong on page two twenty five. You know when the, when MJ and Harry meet Peter. Yep. And uh, you know she's at the second panel when uh, Peter says, "I can't wait to go home and polish my button." You wouldn't put that in the cup today because that sounds so weird. <laughs> polish <laughs> <Really>. my button. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. That's funny. When I saw that, I was like, oh, that's one of those awkward uh, 60s sayings that you wouldn't put in a comic today. Yep. (laughs) There are quite a few of them, actually, in the the book. If you search a bit for it, you can find some some of those weird weird sentences. Definitely. I think the only thing that would have made this issue better is if we had an actual um, known villain instead of a one-off character that we had not heard of before. Yeah, um, b- b- because you, 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 there is less uh, less tension and less uh, excitement when you see uh, a Hulk-like creature like you've yeah. seen so many of them before. Um, I just think that Rally is a very interesting character, and uh, um, you can clearly see that the more the issue advances, uh, 
the crazier he becomes, uh, and he ends up being quite quite a scary guy, craving for power and uh, willing to do anything that it takes to to reach his goals. So that's um, th th that's also uh, something which is uh, unusual in uh, in such a, in such a comic. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's also a backup story in this issue. The It's called In the Beginning. It is the many-splendored origin of Spidey, newly updated Natch. And it's drawn by Larry Lieber mm -hmm. with um, embellishment by Bill Everett. So that's kind of cool yeah. to get the two of them together. Yeah. Uh, it says it's newly updated, and, and it's pretty much almost a, re a straight retelling of Amazing Fantasy number 15, they kind of gloss over the TV aspect of the storyline, and they add in one scene at the beginning where he punches um, a, a, like a street lamp post, mm. and it uh, it kind of buckles under his punch. Um, he isn't so obvious with his powers in the original one uh, at the very, very beginning. But the rest of the origin is still told pretty straightforward. Larry recreates some of the most iconic scenes uh, pretty much exactly as they as Ditko did them in the first issue. Oh, there are quite a lot of swipes. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's intentional. Uh, it's intentional because it's the iconic story, and that's kind of something everybody does when they retell the story in their little. Yeah, whenever it's retold in in these monthly issues, they always take those scenes and redraw them exactly. Mm, no, but uh, when I meant swipes, uh, actually there are swipes of amazing Spider-Man of number 50? Oh, okay. Which yeah. ones are those? I didn't see that. I didn't notice. So page 274, the first panel, you know, when uh, when Peter oh. is ripping up his shirt. Yeah. So that's one of the moments in, in issue 50 when, uh, when he's uh, listening to the radio and he hears that there is a robbery or something. Right. And he rips up his shirt and yeah. says, oh, I, I gave up being Spider-Man. Uh, so that, that that's exactly the same. Uh, it's just flipped uh, horizontally, but it's the same drawing. Right. And in the, the, the last two pages, there are a few panels, and especially the one when Peter has removed his mask, uh, which is a pure uh, swipe of, of the Romita uh, art of the, of the issue. Right, yeah, it does look like a very Romita face. Mm. Not quite Romita, it's just a little bit off, but it's there. It's Romita-ish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that uh, Bill Everett gives a great look and feel as, a, as an inker. Yep, yeah, he usually does. It's good stuff. Mm. Okay. Let's leave that behind us and get back to our monthly issues. Yeah. So issue 63, so called Wings uh, in the Night. Uh, so the old vulture is back and he wants and he wants to confront Blacky Drago. So the last time we saw the vulture, he was really uh, about to die, but uh, apparently it got better. Uh, so <laughs> he, he, wants, <laughs> he wants to confront uh, Blacky Drago, who took over. Uh, as the new venture a few issues back. So it's a, it, it's a rainy time in New York, and uh, in the, the third page, uh, Spider-Man hurts his, his shoulder, I would, I'm tempted to say, again. Yeah, yeah, right. And, um, well, the rest of the issue is the Vulture getting his old costume back and having Drago uh, escaping, and the retelling of what happened in the in the previous Vulture appearance and the fight between, between Drago and, and Tombs, which end up uh, ends up with uh, the, the the victory of the of the classic vulture and uh, uh, Peter uh, with his hurt shoulder being stuck between the two and now having to fight the the rejuvenated uh, vulture uh, by the end of the issue. 
So we're at the point in Spider-Man history now where villains are starting to make their third and fourth and fifth appearances. And, mm. and, and so Vulture, oh, and so how it usually goes is the first appearance, the villains are, you know, they've come up with a crime and then it doesn't have anything to do with Spider-Man. And then Spider-Man shows up and thwarts their plan. And then in their second appearance, it's always a revenge story. I need to get back at Spider-Man for, mm. for you know, ruining my plans the first time. But then after that, now we have to start thinking up some uh, more interesting stories for our for our villains because they've done the the first plot, they've done the revenge story. Now they're onto something different. Um, and so for for the Vulture, because his first few appearances were in the Steve Ditko issues, uh, we now have the story where the, the, the costume is passed on to another person. And now we have a, um, a story where the two different Vultures are battling each other, it, and it has nothing to do with Spider-Man. And I think this is great. Mm. The actual problem with this issue, the main conflict, is between the two Vultures. Uh, and Spider-Man just happens to just get caught up in the middle of it, and he tries his best to to do something, but uh, but really he is not the focal point of this issue, and I find that uh, fascinating because it's it may it means that there's going to be way more character development for the villain, and it gives Spider-Man kind of a a different perspective because he's now kind of the outsider in the situation. He doesn't really know what's going on and he can't really take an active role because um, basically kind of the vultures ignoring him until the very end. Yeah, and the, and the cover clearly shows that because you, you don't see Spider-Man. On the cover, you just see the two vultures. Right. Which is maybe a first time when the main character is not appearing on the cover of his own magazine. Right, yeah, interesting. Um, it, it was nice to get back to, to see the gang and everything like that. We're still facing the drama with Peter and Gwen Stacy. She, she's pretty much in tears every single time that uh, mm. we see them. And, but there's this one scene here on page 288, which is page 10 of this issue here, where mm -hmm. Captain Stacy invites Peter to lunch. He says, I wonder mm. if you have lunch tomorrow uh, with me tomorrow, because he's now kind of regained his his memories about what's happened with the brainwasher stuff. And he realizes that Peter didn't do anything wrong. It's an mm. interesting thing that they make these lunch plans because they never actually have lunch. That that, that scene never yeah, ends up happening. <laughs> mm. So I just wanted to point that out there. And we get the beginning of the of the subplot. The, the, the continuation of uh, Norman Osborn remembers being the goblin subplot yes. that we come to play much later in the in the book, and that gives some a lot of tension to the to the stories once again. What we see with this issue, uh, even more than before, and uh, we would see that uh, with the following one as well, um, we see that there's a lot of mix between Romita and Don Hack. And also, I was I was sort of surprised of that because we discussed that last time uh, with the, the the differences between some of the the, the, the pages with Romita stuff, yeah, more classic Romita stuff, and some with only Don Heck figures and and things. Um, and actually, after some research, I found out that Stanley was not too much of a fan of Don Heck, and he wanted him to draw more like Romita and and, and Yusema. And actually, he frequently asked uh, John Romita to redraw some of the stuff which yeah. had been cancelled and inked right. in the last minute. So, and uh, Romita was making comments about that in, in the interview I read. 
and he was saying, I'm doing the layout, which takes a lot of time. And actually he says that he said that finishing the layout was not what's, what was more time consuming for him. It's the layout which was more time consuming. Oh, okay. But, and he was doing the layout, then someone else was finishing, then someone else was inking, and on top of that he had to redraw some of the some of the, the, the faces right. and some of the uh, some of the content, and, and he was saying, "How is this making me win time?" Because that was the idea in the first place to, right. to, to <laughs> give him more time to work on on the on the magazine while he was not doing the monthly. So yeah, wow, that was really interesting to find out. And that's not an unusual practice. I think of the most no. famous examples of uh, Kurt Swan redrawing all of Jack Kirby's Superman faces because um, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was Julie Schwartz who didn't like the way that Jack Kirby drew yeah. Superman. Yeah, I think I think it was. Uh, well, one of the, another example is Romita and Neil Adams redrawing the faces on the first uh, Superman Spider-Man crossover. Right. Uh, because the editors didn't like the way Ross Andrew was drawing faces. Romita also mentioned that he was redrawing Barry Smith's faces on Conan covers, you know, things like that, which wow. may sound a bit insane today. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so disrespectful to the artist um, because, you know, this is their art. But mm. at the same time, you know, Stan was really, really trying to push for um, a, a very specific look across all of his books through the 60s he wanted everybody to look like um either Busema or Romita yeah wanted everyone to conform to that style uh nowadays that's definitely not the case uh you can have books with wildly different styles and that's okay it's okay to have all of that kind of packed under one roof yeah um, today it's more of an uh, anything goes <laughs> Say. Yeah. Back then, uh, the Marvel universe is is not that old, so clearly Stan still wanted to to have something that looked familiar to the yeah. to the readers. So that's why, for instance, the the, the John Buscema issues of the of Amazing Spider-Man, which are in the next volume, look so much like uh, Romita stuff. And so the, he wanted to have something coherent. He didn't want to show too much that the artists were changing on the books, I think. Yeah. Especially on the flagships, like when Romita took over after um, Jack Kirby left the FF, uh, he, he asked Romita to swipe a huge amount of, uh, of Kirby material so that it looked so, sort of familiar. Uh, which was a stupid idea in the first place, but anyway. <laughs> and I, I think that's the, 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 that was the idea of having you know, Romita redrawing Don Heck and, and yep. so on and so forth. Definitely. Okay, issue number 64, The Vulture's Prey. The Vulture is now taking care of Drago, and he's got his sights set on Spider-Man, who is not in good shape because his arm is still out of commission. Uh, and a lot of this issue is is a battle. In fact, most of the issue is a battle on, um, in the air as Spider-Man tries to fight the Vulture. In, mm. in fact, that's the only thing that happens in this issue is Spider-Man and Vulture fight. And then that leads to the cliffhanger where Spider-Man is knocked unconscious and the Vulture flies away. And people are like, oh, we could take off Spider-Man's mask now because he's unconscious. Mm. Uh, there are a few other things that happen behind the scenes. Like um, there's there's a great moment with uh, Jonah and Joe Robertson. Joe's getting a lot mm. more screen time or page time now. Um, he's becoming a, a very regular and important cast member, which is great. I I love this character. Oh yeah, me too. 
and he gets injured by some falling debris during the battle with Spider-Man and Vulture, and um, and Jonah kind of is just looking out for himself this whole time. It, he's it, he doesn't help, which is typical with him, but it makes for a great mm-hmm. moment defining the the character types between the two main people at the bugle, which is great. Uh, and we also see Mary Jane with a brand new hairstyle. Oh my! And yeah, it's definitely not something that we think of when we when we think of Mary Jane. Like Mary Jane's had a lot of hairstyles in the past. Uh, I, I think most famously of like the huge curly hair that Eric Larson gave her in the 90s. Mm. But mm. this one just doesn't seem to fit her character at all. Um, it's not glamorous like her other hairstyles. It's different. Yeah, it makes her look older, I think. And uh, But uh, the idea for Romita here, because that was his idea, was to sort of not having Gwen and um, Mary Jane to look that similar. Right. Uh, so that's why you wanted to have uh, Mary Jane look uh, have, with a different hairstyle and so on and so forth. I, I, I think it was really a bad idea, but uh, it's easier to say that in the prospect. <laughs> yes. And, and, and also, the, what is strange is the, the, the fact that the, the, the haircut would be seen in maybe three or four episodes and that's it. And then MJ would be missing for 16 issues in the magazine and when she returns she has long hair Right, there you go. Uh, there is a there's a bonus feature in this volume, uh, almost near the very end, second to last page, where yeah. Romita is giving some, he says, some character and art finishing notes to Jim Mooney and talks specifically about this new hairstyle of Mary Jane's, saying that he wants them to look as modern as possible. He wants their outfits, their clothes, and their hairstyles to reflect the most recent trends. And so I guess that's what we're trying to go for here. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a great feature, from, uh, by the way. It's one of those things that... Uh... I'm just so happy that we, we we are able to get bonus features like that. Yeah, totally. Because that that's the kind of things that back then would have been ripped off and, and thrown away, uh, you know. But um, amazingly, Mooney or whoever uh, uh, kept it and uh, long enough to to so that we get it in this collection. Yeah. Okay, and this issue also, Captain Stacy reveals to Gwen that uh, Peter had nothing to do with the attack. And so she is happy that um, that everything is, is okay. Now she just has to find Peter, but they don't know where he is. And this is going to carry on for a few issues now. Yeah. I think this issue looks uh, looks really good. Yes, it uh, does. Even though it's just a, a basic brawl. But once again, like you said, the last time the, the Vulture was here, uh, a lot of the fight is taking place in the air which gives uh, uh, always different perspectives. And uh, for, for instance, I really like, it's an unusual page, uh, page 316, with this eight-panel grid, uh, which is not something we would see very frequently, uh, with different angles and the way uh, the top is from the Vulture's perspective and the bottom is from Spider-Man's perspective. Oh, good point. I really enjoyed that because that's the kind of things, the, 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 the example of good storytelling when... Uh, when you read the, the book as much as we do, you know, just taking notes and stuff. Yeah. And you sort of realize that uh, it's, uh, it's good stuff. There are a few times when I can see that uh, Ramita's not doing full pencils, like on page 317, uh, yeah. the vulture in that bottom panel where the vulture is swooping down. And mm-hmm. this just doesn't look like a pose, a finished pose that Ramita would do. 
it's mm. got some awkward uh it's got it's at an awkward angle because the vulture is like he's almost twisting he's not he's yeah. not in a straight line the top half of his body is at a different angle than the bottom half of his his body and um just the way his his hands are attached to his wrists just doesn't look like a Romita drawing. So there, and then, but then you, you look at some of these other pages, like you can see that he must've done a lot of redrawing of like Gwen's faces. Oh, Cause yeah. all of the women look like Romita. Um, the close-ups of anytime there's a close-up of anybody's face, it looks like uh, Romita ha- has redrawn it or something. Um, on page 306, Jonah and Robbie, uh, Joe Robbie definitely yeah. look like Romita. Yeah, for sure. Even the layout. I mean, it's pure Romita for me. Yeah, definitely. So all that is going to change with the issue 65 because it's uh, Romita with Jim Mooney. To heck with heck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the, the, the setup of this issue is that Spider-Man has been captured and that Peter is also missing. Um, and the majority of the uh, of the episode takes place in jail where Spider-Man is held. But we don't know if he's a prisoner or something. They, they have chosen not to remove his mask thanks to, to Captain Stacy. And as the story unfolds, uh, Captain Stacy is captured by a bunch of prisoners who are trying to escape. And the whole episode is Spider-Man pretending to support escape prisoners while trying to, to save Captain Stacy with a great fight in uh, in the dark and yep. with the blue colors that, that we were talking about earlier, w- with a cool ending with uh, Spidey uh, saving Captain Stacy and arresting the guys one after another. So I, I think I already mentioned that to you, but uh, I really enjoy I enjoy issue taking place in general, and I right. think that they they they, they always work. Uh, it's always something because it's contained. You you can't. You have to be. Uh, there's always a lot of people there, and uh, it's a different setup than uh, your your traditional story. And the fact that we don't have any supervillain in the story. It's just a bunch of uh, bad guys uh, who have a grudge against Spidey and Captain Stacy who are there. So it should be an easy fight, but the way it's written and the way because of the the, the you 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 have to be aware of the space around you. Um, I think it's one of the, the, the very good story of the, the, the second bunch of the, of the collection. What I love is the, the, the contrast between the layouts here because uh, what, let's go back to page 302 in the previous issue. Mm-hmm. This is page three and four. The Vulture and Spider-Man are fighting in the air. Look at these yeah. panels. They're huge. Mm-hmm. And the characters in there um, are are smaller to give way to a lot of open sky in the background. Yeah, you can see how you can see that they're fighting in the sky, and you can see how much space they have to move. And then if you let's flip over to page three hundred and twenty-eight and three hundred and twenty-nine in this current issue we're talking about here, which is page eight and nine. Mm-hmm. And we can see that um, the pages, the panels are smaller, with the yeah. exception of that top panel on the on page nine. Um, but everything is so closed in because we're in jail and we don't have the the um, we don't have the luxury of of the big open sky. Uh, Ramita really really boxes us in with the with the way he lays out all of the characters. Um, he uses all of the the men in the jail to uh, to frame all of these shots to make it look so crowded and condensed. And he uses the smaller panels to do this as well, so that we get a feeling of being trapped in jail with mm. Spider Man. I was surprised, uh, actually, uh, that's a very good point because I was really surprised at the, the fact that we are getting back to six, seven panels 
sometimes eight per page uh, here. So completely different environment and, yep. uh, and look and feel for, for the story, which shows us how much Romita can change his style and adapt to the, the, what he wants to tell as a storyteller. Definitely. Yeah, he, he is very intentional about uh, about doing this because of the setting that it's in. Because he doesn't have to have all of these panels. All of these panels are just him beating up the bad guys. He could do it with his typical four-panel or three-panel pages, but because he wants to um, to make us a little bit more claustrophobic, he's breaking up his pages mm. quite a bit more. We also get continuation of the Norman Osborn subplot here with Harry's worried about his dad. Uh, missing, so it's still something that is really subtle touches here and there. So it keeps on building tension because it was sort of remembering. Now he's missing, so you're left with uh, wondering what is going on in the, in the background of the of that, which makes it very interesting to to follow. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it's interesting to to see the progression of Norman here because this is kind of the first time in the Spider-Man comics where we have the focus of a villain as a subplot, mm. proving that this is usually the villains are you know the villain of the month. They come in for the one issue, then they go. But Green Goblin is the first character where this is a mainstay character. This is a character that we care about outside of his normal monthly appearance. Yeah, it's true. And uh, this very issue highlights the fact that the blurred line we were talking about previously with Peter's personal life and superhero life were all entangled and mixed together. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you can get any better explanation than that. I mean, obviously, you because with Captain Stacy, who is becoming a more and more important character in the book, uh, which has time with Peter's girlfriend, Norman Osborn, who is the father of his best friend, being the Green Goblin, and now getting back to being the Goblin. I mean, there's so much stuff taking place which tie all together that that is really the, 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 the I, I think what makes the good time for, for Spidey books yeah so we mentioned already that Don Heck is not on this book anymore Jim Mooney mm. is now doing the finishes uh, he's so John is still doing the layouts here and I feel like Mooney was able to capture a better Romita than yeah. Don Heck because I don't think a lot of these faces are redrawn by by Romita they look close enough to be Ramita without having to be retouched. But if but all of these faces are just slightly, slightly off. And so I think of page uh, two and three in this issue, mm -hmm. which is page uh, 322, 323. Uh, the look of Jonah down in the bottom corner. Yeah. It's that's a Mooney face. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and even like even the way Gwen looks, it's like you can see that it's almost Ramita, but it's not quite. Mm. So I think Mooney is is capable of drawing a better Ramita than Don Heck was. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and and you see when you were talking about this this Jonah face here. It's exactly what I was thinking of because I remember reading those stories of Peter Parker's spectacular Spider-Man around 60 to 80 when uh, when Mooney was inking Ed Hannigan and then Alvin Grom. Yep. And all the faces look the same. Uh, no matter who was drawing the book, sometimes you would get a feeling by Ron Friends or by Rick Leonardi or whatever and uh, or whoever. 
and uh, and the faces would always look the same and have this Romita vibe, uh, right. which is when I was saying before that uh, Muni would be really the key and the visual uh, link between the 60s and the mid uh, mid 80s, really uh, on Spidey. Yeah, right. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, let's keep on going here to issue number 66, mm. The Madness of Mysterio. This is beginning a two-part story with the return of Mysterio. And let me just say before I get into the story here, this on page two, this when Mysterio takes off his helmet, it looks like a mm. Kirby face. Yeah, very much. I thought yeah, that was sure. very interesting because it's not a Kirby creation. We've never no. seen him look like this before, but for some reason, I guess, I don't know. Don Heck is back on this on this book for this issue. Um, I don't know if this is his influence or where that's coming from, but it's very very odd. Have we seen Mysterio since Romita's program? I can't remember. No, I don't <laughs> think so. The last appearance they make on page they make a reference to it on page three was from Spider-Man Annual number four, but that was drawn by Larry Lieber. Yeah. Okay. Because maybe that's uh... no so. Uh, I was thinking that maybe the last time we saw Mysterio was uh, um, the issues when uh, he's trying to drive Spider-Man crazy and he has this right. uh, shrink office. Yeah, that was still Ditko. Yeah, that was still Ditko. And, uh, so I think it's the teeth and the haircut which really give a Kirby vibe. Yeah, it's and it's the flat nose and just the way the wrinkles mm. form around his face. It feels yeah, like a yeah, yeah. like how he would draw the wizard or something like that. Also, what a splash page! Oh yes, oh yes. I just, I just love it. It's just just the way Mysterio looks. Always like you know this kind of extreme persona or something, and uh, uh, that really works, I think, for him. Mysterio is awesome in this issue. Let me tell you, in both yeah. of these issues, the, these this is some of the best Mysterio we've seen yet because it shows him. In his prime, because let's okay. So let's. Yeah. I'm gonna save my thoughts for after I just give a little recap here. So Mysterio is back, and he, he's going after Spider-Man, um, and he is he's come up with a way to to capture Spider-Man. So he has to lure him out into the public. So he makes just some random appearances to try and get Peter uh, to to follow him. And when he does, he he shoots him with a ray. And then the climax of this issue, we find out that he's been shrunk to six inches high and placed in this model of an amusement park that he's created in, in this warehouse. So what I like about this issue, in contrast especially to the Spider-Man annual number four, because both of those issues, Mysterio is using his special effects um, abilities, so like his history as a special effects artist for Hollywood. Except in the other one, all he did was really kind of create a giant robot. In this one, he's actually using some very elaborate and, and clever illusions and traps. Uh, like it's it's just a way better Mysterio than what we saw last time. I even think it's a way better Mysterio than we saw in that in the Madhouse issue um, by Ditko because that one wasn't relying as much on his on Mysterio's strengths as well. I mean, it was a little bit with the illusions, but it was a different focus. This one is way better. I I must say that I have a soft spot for the Madhouse issue, but what what I like is the fact that he's trying to come up with, with clever plans. Uh, which was not the case in the in the annual by by Larry Lieber, right? And it's also uh, just a setup, the, yes. the payoff converter. That's so right. There, there is not really a big fight between the 
between the two. It's only a couple of pages, which is really, uh, and the rest of the issue is Mysterio trying to, to, to bait Spider-Man to, to get to the, the place where he has his ray and stuff. But that was also necessary for this one to be yeah. all set up because Peter hasn't checked in with his supporting cast in three issues. Yes. Uh, so by allowing this to be set up and to not have the focus on the villain, uh, Peter now has to go to all of his friends one by one and kind of check in with them to see where we're at. So we get a scene with um, with Jonah, who's furious at him for not bringing him pictures of the vulture fight. And then we check in with uh, Gwen. And this is the moment where I think their their relationship really kind of officially starts. Um, mm. there's, there's just this great moment on page nine and ten, uh, yeah. uh, where where they see each other for the first time after the the awfulness that has been the past few issues, and they instantly fall into each other's arms and they're talking about I can't be with anybody else. You're the one for me. All this kind of stuff. And it's like this is it. They are now officially a couple. Uh, and it, it could be corny, you know, be, be, because that's. But it works so yep. well, uh, and and I think that's one of the uh, of the strengths of uh, of Stanley to to come up with with great dialogue here and uh, uh, having those you no know, young people getting back together and uh, having after all this stuff because if you look at it, the last time that they they've been through a lot uh, in this volume, yeah, you know, with Peter missing and. Uh, uh, you know, with the memory loss and then the, the, the thing with the brainwasher and so on. So it has been a bumpy ride. So uh, it's nice to, to, to give a, a moment of pause to, to Peter here. Definitely. Uh, he also checks in with Harry and talks talks about his dad with him a little bit, uh, which is nice. And then there's a great scene where Peter goes over to visit Aunt May and he hears her shout out from inside. And he breaks mm. down the door only to find out that she's reacting to something on TV. Yeah. So she is uh, Aunt May. I thought we were going to be finished with all of this Aunt May getting sick and ill stuff. But man, it's still it's still happening like every <laughs> issue here. Yeah. And and we, we, we kept on having the Pussy Willow uh, joke. Still. Around. Yeah. It's been like uh, yeah, three yeah. years now <laughs> worth of yeah, comics. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's still there. I mean, this joke never gets old. Never. Never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I think that the Don Heck uh, Romita combination is much clearer. I think on this issue, and you can see that there's a way more uh, Heck look and feel to the book. I mean, when you look at page six, it almost looks like there is no Romita layout here. Even page five, you can see on the way he draws Peter's eyes. While when you get to page nine and ten, you can see that the, the, the right. Romita influence is a bit is a bit bigger, and it's gone for page eleven and twelve, for instance. And I wonder if that's actually Mooney um, drawing, like trying to insert his version of Romita over top of Don Heck's finishes. Oh, who knows? Yeah. yeah, there's so many people working on these books. It's unreal. I can't, I can't, I can't believe that there's. It's like it goes through three people to get a page done before the before the colors. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great build up, uh, and I think that's uh, uh, once again it's very is similar similar to issue sixty three where Spider Man is not so much the focus of the of the story, and here the focus is clearly on Mysterio and the build and like the Vulture story, there's a build up. Spider Man is not the center of the build up, and then we get the payoff in the following issue. 
And man, this splash page, just like the opening splash page, the closing splash page is just awesome as well. Yeah. So yeah, great. But well, it's very comic booky because that's the kind of things you, but I think it works so well. Oh, yes, absolutely. Issue number 67, uh, I'll let you take this one, but I just want to say yeah. that the, uh, the the whole shrinking thing is such, um, it's such a different feel for Spider-Man as well, because it's something that is not grounded in reality, I guess. Not that Spider-Man's mm-hmm. ever really grounded in reality, but he usually stays in his own world and he stays himself. So we saw, you know, in the annual where he goes to a different dimension, that was kind of new territory for Spider-Man. Introducing the concept, even though this is an illusion, introducing the concept of a shrinking Spider-Man, that type of science fiction is kind of not something we usually see in Spider-Man. Not yet, at least. Yeah, for sure. Um, so really, the, the, this story is really the, the continuation and the, the, the payoff of what happened in the last issue, and we have this uh, reduced, apparently reduced in size, uh, in size Spider-Man fighting against all the the crazy situation that Mysterio has been uh, preparing for him, which which takes a big chunk of the issue uh, until he finally manages to find out uh, because he's been uh, having doubts since the beginning, but he finds out that uh, uh, he hasn't been reduced in size. And uh, and once he finds out that it was a trick played by, by Mysterio, he easily and quickly dismisses him. But even though the plot is fairly basic, I think the ideas and all the tricks that, that have been played are great. And that's oh, yeah. what makes the, 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 the story so good. Yeah, and, and Peter is constantly saying to himself, man, he's not giving me a chance to catch my breath. And you can really get that sense <laughs> through, like there's just so much being thrown at him. All of a sudden, each page is a different trap. And it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, even though the character himself is annoying, I really enjoy the, the stories with arcade. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like those old X Men issues, yep. and also Marvel, old Marvel team up issue with right. uh, with Captain Britain with Spidey. Uh, and I think that's exactly the kind of fun you get there. Uh, you know, with uh, trap doors and uh, mirrors closing, and uh, you know, giant fists. I mean, For sure. all these kind of monsters and uh you know and whatnot it's not realistic at all as you said but uh i think that gives a lot of a sense of fun that uh, it is a very different vibe to the to the rest of the book especially because we get all those scenes well those small scenes because there's not so much content which is uh with the gang and uh, the, the the other characters we, we have a scene with aunt may and uh, um and uh, and the bugle and so on and they look so anchored into reality while the rest of the book is so far out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because it's so basic, there's not a whole lot to say through here, except uh, there's one scene where we meet Robbie's son on yes. page 16. And uh, that's interesting that we're getting more of, uh, we're learning more about Robbie. Um, like, we don't even know this much about Jonah's outside life outside of the bugle mm. probably because he doesn't really have one but but yeah. yeah we have we find that Robbie has a son named Randy and Randy will become a character that appears uh, on a you know semi semi regular basis when the story dictates mm. um uh- 
I think that the, the, the connection between Robbie and Captain Stacy is really good. Uh, and, and it will play out uh, really as like those two persons are clever enough to maybe figure out that Peter is Spider-Man, yeah. the two of them together. So th th that's unfortunately something that they will play, but that obviously it will never be um, a, a real threat. But that's an interesting uh, subplot here. And that subplot also ties together Peter's two social activities outside of being Spider-Man. Um, mm -hmm. Because the it used to be that the Bugle stuff was separate over there. And then we'd have the scenes with his with his university crowd. And then we'd have the scenes yeah. with, with Aunt May. But now all of those are connected because Robbie and Stacy are talking to each other. And Stacy mm -hmm. is, is Gwen's dad. And then we also have Mary Jane as part of the, the, the crowd and Mary Jane's aunt is living with Aunt May. So all of mm. this, all of these characters are now connected. We don't have these silos of subplots. Mm. Uh, and at the very end, we, on the yes. very last page, we get Spider-Man defeating Mysterio in a scene that looks very, very similar to the moment when Spidey gets the burglar in Amazing Fantasy number 15. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, and then he swings away as there is a protest happening down below, which leads us into volume five. But we're not going to get to that because we have a few more issues, other issues to talk about first. Actually, it's funny to see that we have 100 pages to go before the end of the collection. And yeah. There is no more Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So the next story in this collection is Spectacular Spider-Man number two. This is the, the second of the magazine stories with a, a very famous cover of Goblin attacking Spider-Man drawn by Romita. It's a painted cover. Um, awesome cover. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Mm. So this is called The Goblin Lives. This is where this epic collection gets its title. And it's this is fascinating to me because they've been building up this uh, Goblin Returns plotline through the monthly issues for the past several issues. And the payoff doesn't come in the monthly book. Mm. The payoff comes in this magazine, which apparently, according to Steve in, our, in the comments that we got earlier, was extremely hard to find. And I can understand wanting to give the return of this villain that they're really pumping up as being the bad guy for Spider-Man. Um, they want to give him more, more like a more prestige format uh, return. So they're putting him in this magazine. But if no one can find it, then what's the point? Yeah, and uh, it, it would remain uh, unknown because I don't think it's very much mentioned afterwards. <laughs> so it's sort of a, a build-up. Then some it takes place elsewhere, and then when you get back to the book, it's back at its business as usual, sort of. Yeah, so I that's tell you, really weird. It's very weird, and I think that if I were collecting in the '60s, or if I had a subscription to this book, uh, to the to Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. And the, this major story that has been brewing under the surface didn't actually happen in the book that I was subscribed to. I'd be pretty upset. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it doesn't get reprinted until, well, three or four years afterwards, maybe, maybe five years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, five years because it's in 
annual Spider-Man Five. Okay. And it's a truncated version of the of the story because all the recap pages that we have at the beginning are, are removed uh, to focus on the on the main uh, on the main story itself. Right. Yeah. This is a sixty-page story. It's even kind of too big for an annual. Uh, I mean, there are some sixty-four-page yeah. annuals and such, but but yeah, if they want to put any other stuff in there, then they would have to truncate it. But yeah, so this story here, we do get a lot of flashbacks at the beginning, t- talking about Goblin's previous appearances, bringing us up to speed, leading up to the point where Norman Osborn finally remembers as he's sitting in the hospital that he is the Green Goblin, and he busts out of there and uh, and creates a fantastic, awkward dinner party. I really loved this dinner party where oh, yeah. Norman brings all of his family, all of all of Harry's friends together as a little, hey, I'm feeling better now kind of a get-together, um, which I don't know why he would bring his friends together. That, they should have questioned that at the beginning because he never cared for them. But it's all to get close to Peter, and it's just wonderful. It, you can see the evil scheming in his brain throughout this entire scene where he's trying to get close to Peter and just the things he says and tries to mm. get in his head. And so, of course, Peter has to create a diversion. He creates a smoke diversion, gets everybody out of the apartment, and the Green Goblin and Peter have their big battle, which is mostly big panels, and we can afford that because we have the page count for it. Uh, so we just get dynamic page after dynamic page of Romita and Mooney doing uh, some amazing stuff between this fight with uh, Green Goblin and Spider-Man. Really, really great. Um, and unfortunately, in the end, it kind of brings us back to where we were before, where Norman, again, can't remember who he is. Um, and everything kind of gets rebooted. But uh, that's the only kind of downside about this issue. The rest of it is really, really good. Um, Actually, I do have some complaints about the dialogue. Stan's dialogue through the first half of this book is so redundant. Every single Mm. scene, Peter has to say, almost word from word, if if Norman remembers that he's the Green Goblin, then Aunt May will be in danger. He says that pretty much every single page and it's like, man, can we just mm-hmm. move past this? This is where I find that the long format of this book doesn't work. They really could have condensed this down to maybe 48 pages or 40 pages instead of drawing it out to 60. Because once we drew it out that long, Stan didn't know how to how to dialogue it in an interesting way. Yeah, and, and um, it really feels that with less pages, we would have had more Romita and less Rumi and less Mooney. Maybe, yeah. Because there are quite a few pages which really, uh, I mean, page 35, which is uh, 420 uh, and 421, I mean, it hardly looks like Romita. So it could be pure Mooney for me. The faces, even the layout. Yeah. If it's Romita, it's very loose, while the rest of the fight is much more Romita-ish and especially the last few pages. So it really feels like considering the amount of work they had to do uh, and Romita had to do, sort of chose pages where he wanted to put a lot of detail and a, and a lot of effort compared to others. Definitely. The dinner scene reminded me of the first Spider-Man movie. Oh, totally. I was going to bring that up too. It's very oh, okay. similar in that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, in that awkwardness. I mean, it has a different focus because mm. in the movie, Norman is just 
realizing Peter's secret in that one. Yeah. Um, but it mm. does have. I would say that that's probably a direct reference to this issue. Yeah. If they yeah. were if they were looking at the comic book stories. No, I think it's uh well, it really ties with that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone had said, "Well, why don't we we reuse the, that scene?" Um, I, I just liked the way I really liked the way that you know at the beginning of the book when the goblin is back, he's tempted to attack, but he's not attacking because he has this evil plan and scheme uh, in his mind, and and uh, it feels really feels like I could attack now, but I won't because I have bigger plans than that, and I. It, it shows really how crazy this character can be. I've always had this sort of connection between, for me, between the Green Goblin and the Joker in Batman. Yeah, for sure. Even though they are different characters, of course, but there is this, I don't want victory now and I don't want to attack now because I have this whole scheme uh, in mind that, and I want to play it, which is, I think, what makes the, the, the character so insane. There's another continuity issue here. Um, Peter is riding his motorcycle on page... Eight, page three hundred and ninety-three, and he. Mm-hmm. We didn't mention this in the episode. In this episode, but he actually sold his motorcycle in the last issue to get some money to pay for some bills. Yeah. So he's got it back here. I'm trying to think of where to place this issue. Also, Mary Jane has her new hairstyle, so it definitely fits um, in here. Yeah, but it could be uh, because the hairstyle appears. Uh, it it could be before issue sixty-six, the, the the beginning of the book. The, the, the first 20 pages of the book, you know, up until page 17, it could be before issue 67. And then you could play issue 66 and 7 and then come back after Mysterious Fight on page 17. It would work. I don't think you can because we still have Norman trying to figure out who he is. Um, um, in fact, there. Okay, no, hold on a second. I got to find. There's one scene where he actually already knows he's Green Goblin in the monthly issues. Where did that scene go? It's before he goes missing. So maybe it's Jane. No, it's not the Jane issue. Is it one with the vulture? No, it's not the vulture. So it's afterwards. And this is geeky talk. <laughs> this is great. Look, go, go to page twelve. Yeah. He's already wearing his Green Goblin costume. Yeah. Okay. He's already wearing so he already knows that he's Norman Osborne. So the Spider-Man annual has to happen before this. Mm. But at this point he's already sold his his motorcycle. He sells it earlier. Uh, a couple pages before. So there's so there's um a little bit of continuity issue there because Norman already knows who he is, but Peter doesn't have his motorcycle. But in the in the story, Peter does have his motorcycle, but Norman doesn't know who he is yet. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's, that's just um it probably is a fact that um these spectacular Spider-Man issues are probably done, you know, over a sev- over 3 months. It probably takes them 3 months to make these issues. And meanwhile, the monthly issues are happening at a on a different schedule at a different pace and the story's being developed in a different way so they're just not mm. um they're not able to compare the notes at the at the same time because these issues have to be done on a different schedule or something i don't know well uh, and i think that they were not keeping track of what they were doing yeah probably so, not so you know they were uh, churning uh, episode one after one after another so not taking care of the details and uh, but um, so yeah that, that it, it makes sense that there would be uh, continuity issues here yeah, and there definitely Okay, the last issue in our the last full issue in our collection here is Marvel Superheroes number fourteen. So it's called the Reprehensible Riddle of the Sorcerer. And it's not that reprehensible, actually. 
So that's one weird issue. Yes, it sure <laughs> is. It was supposedly a fitting issue that Stanley shelled uh, because he didn't like it. Also, it says that John Romita was supposed to draw it, uh, but it sort of sprained his shoulder or his wrist. So Russ Andrew drew it. So that in the in the first place, that's a, that, that's a weird setup, and the story itself is a, is a strange one with a, a guy living in in New Orleans who has learned the ways of the of the voodoo. So he's trying to drag Spider-Man to New Orleans and uh, and having been fighting a, a giant robot creature and the, the, his plan backfires uh, to him and the, the, the story ends in a very weird strange way for me it's quite a strange story I, I first of all I didn't enjoy it as much as uh, as the rest definitely not it, it's like a bad feeling story which doesn't really make sense in the first place because the, the plot itself is is really strange it really wasn't my cup of tea I think that my main issue here is that Spider-Man never sees the villain. And so, <laughs> I mean, he sees the robot, but he never finds the sorcerer. And he just walks off into the sunset going, oh, well, I guess that's over now. And like, that's not a good way to end anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I know this is just a fill-in issue, but it's like, it's just not a well-crafted story. Uh, it's also, in, the, in terms of this collection, we've seen Spider-Man fight a big monster robot type of thing already in the first spectacular Spider-Man um, magazine story. And so this just feels like a rehash, a little bit of that, mm. and not well done. Uh, Ross Andrew, his art is definitely amateurish at this time. He gets much better as he goes along. Yeah. Um, and this one is inked by, or embellished by, Bill Everett. Uh, and he, Everett himself is a is a good artist, but his and his but his inking is a little strange. He uses a lot, and you can see it here. Um, he uses a lot of dark shadows to make things kind of blotchy, and that's the same when he's inking in um, Incredible Hulk. He does the same thing. Um, so you can definitely see his hand in the inks here. Yeah, I I like his uh, his work much better on the. On the page with uh, Larry Lieber in the in the black and white first magazine. Right, but yeah, overall you can tell that this was a fill-in, and um, it it was placed in this title called Marvel Superheroes, which was used as sort of an anthology book for um, characters who didn't have any other place to to appear. It's where we first meet the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of a either a test ground for new characters or just a, an odd place to put random issues that don't have anywhere else to go. So that's why they decided to put this issue, which was done, but they didn't have anywhere else to use it because I guess, yeah, Stan didn't like it. So he didn't want to put it in the main Spider-Man title. So they stick it here. But I'm glad it's in the Epic Collections. I'm glad that even though it's not the best issue, that we still have it uh, reprinted and kept for posterity. I think we, we, we really get the, the, the good and the bad of Ross Andrew here. Yeah. Because the, the, the dynamic and the layout of the, the fight scenes is really good. The angle is choosing most of the time. The, just the dynamic aspect of it works really well. And that's what I really enjoy about, about Ross Andrew. 
but the rest is rather bad, I would say. His faces, <laughs> for instance, there are some silly things here and there as well. Uh, I mean, when he's drawing the gang on page nine, I mean, none of them really looks like the, their normal con- counterpart, even though there's some, I think there is some redrawing there, especially on the last panel on page nine. Definitely a forgettable issue, but it's good to have it here. I thought that in some of these pages that Harry was actually Norman. <laughs> That's the way Andrew is going to, to, to draw Harry in the 70s. So I wasn't that surprised because I'm used to it, but uh, not that way. Yeah, Over, overall, not a great... It is definitely treated as a bonus feature at the back of the book here. It's too bad that um, the whole issue kind of ends on that. The whole volume ends on that because it's kind of a downer. Yeah. And then we have two issues of Not Brand Eck, two, two stories. Uh, it's just material from because Not Brand Eck is a, has, has many stories per issue. But we get one. They're both kind of funny. Um, one of them is called With This Ring, Ivy Web. Spider-Man's fallen in love and he's going to get married. And he goes through to all of his uh, supporting cast to tell everybody that he's getting married. And we don't know who he's getting married to till the very end. We find out that it's the Wasp which is funny in its sense because at this point, um, anytime Spider-Man, at this point in Marvel history, anytime that Spider-Man meets up with the Wasp, she always says, oh, the Wasp and the Spider are natural enemies. I hate spiders. <laughs> and so mm. in this issue, they're getting married. And this very comical ending, Aunt May sees him holding the Wasp and thinks it's just a bug, so she swats it and kills the Wasp. <laughs> So I thought that was I thought that was great. Actually, I, I read these stories a long time ago because it was included in the wedding trade paperback. Oh yeah, it was released in the nineties or so. Oh, because funny. it featured it featured all the weddings uh, of Spider-Man. So you had the, the the amazing Spider-Man stories plus the annual. Yeah, and you also had the same thing taking place in the in the comic strip. Right. Yeah, and the the pictures of the of the real wedding at the uh, baseball stadium and this one. So nice. it was really it was really odd, but, uh, <laughs> but fun. yeah, totally fun. Uh, I think it holds up better than a lot of not Brenneck stories because the whole plot does doesn't rely on you having to know the history of of the era or anything like that. It's just a fun story. Mm. And the second one is called Fame is a Cross-Eyed Blind Date with Bad Breath. And uh, Spider-Man's uh, g- going to shoot a movie. And there's just a lot of, it's just a short story, a lot of gags. But there's a couple things I wanted to point out here. One is on page uh, two. We see a black and white Spider-Man making a reference to the Spider-Man magazine that we just read, the black and white magazine. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the other the other one is the very last page has um, a live action Spider-Man, like a photograph of somebody in a Spider-Man suit being taken away by uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. And this, I believe, is a famous costume that Roy Thomas got his hands on and would wear it around the office. And I think that might be a picture of Roy Thomas. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't get that because... Oh yeah, now I get it. The, the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis because they, they were having these comedy uh, shows back yep. then. Yeah, and that's one of the things where you have to kind of know the era and understand those characters, who they're supposed to be. There is some real funny art by Mary Severin uh, for both issues. Yes. Even though I'm really not fond of uh, Not Branagh because I don't get most of the jokes, uh, I, I still think that uh, her cartoony art is uh, is really good and I really love the splash page of the of the uh, with this ring ivy web story i think it's really busy but so so much fun 
You, you know what is really funny here in, in this splash page, uh, for instance, you know, we always get this split look when you have one side Peter Parker and one side Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, it's something that we see regularly in the book, and I, but here it gets to the, to the bottom. So that it's completely... Uh, because the shoe, uh, the, the, we see a Spider-Man sock. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and the other part. So that means that when we get this sided, you know, both side version of Spider-Man. That's right, yeah. It gets to the, to, to the complete costume. So I, I thought that was really stupid and funny. That's perfect. Okay, so we have some bonus features in this issue, in this epic collection. Uh, some uh, original art from the Kazar issue. And uh, a very rough breakdown. Uh, we talked about this in the last issue. Uh, John Romita with mm -hmm. finished art by Larry Lieber. Um, that was unused. So that's pretty cool. Listen to our last episode to get some more details on that. And then uh, some original art from issue number 61 by Romita Heck and Esposito. And you can't really see where, uh, if there have been any art corrections... Usually, like, if they're going to redraw a face, they'll have to cut out a piece of paper and paste it on top. Yeah. But you don't see that in, in either of these two pages. So I don't yeah. think we got any redraws here. And then the rest of it is just, like, original art for the two spectacular Spider-Man covers, which is very cool. And uh, some house advertisements um, and some other collection covers. So not not too much from the in the way of bonus features, but the, the bonus features that they do include are very interesting and very welcome for this volume. Yeah, I, I saw the, the the Larry Lieber. We mentioned that were really uh, showing us the process of working of, of the days. So I found that very 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 cool to get the, to get those in the in the collection. Yeah, it's very nice. It's excellent. Okay, so you know we have talked about now the first sixty-seven issues of Amazing Spider-Man. That's very cool, and I know we wow. have Volume Five is out already. But um, as far as the podcast is concerned, I'm going to move on to another character and another era. So we have to leave Spider-Man at this time. But my guess is that uh, in 2021, Volume Six of the Epic Collections will be released because they've been releasing these in chronological order from the beginning, one a year. Uh, mm. So that means that this year we'll get volume six. And if that's the case, then we'll have volume five, six, and seven all in a row. And we can tackle that mm. maybe later on in 2021. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be great. And uh, I, as the time of we record this, I really hope that we, we get six and 16, which are the two missing bits uh, between two big chunks of... Uh, of, uh, of Amazing Spider-Man being right. released in, in 2021. I really hope we, we, we get that. Me too. That would be great. I kind of feel like they're going to tease us with that mm. volume 16 until the very end, but you never know. Yeah. Okay, let's wrap it up here. You come visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search for Epic Marvel Podcast. I'm also on YouTube, and you can... Uh, check out my Facebook page about Epic Collections if you just search Epic Collection on Facebook. You'll find it. Thanks once again, Frank, all the way from France, talking to us about Spider-Man for these past six weeks. It has been um, a real pleasure to be able to dive deep into both Ditko and Romita's days and, uh, and enjoy uh, how much you enjoyed them. I enjoyed how much you enjoyed these issues. It was really, really great. <laughs> As a closing comment, uh, thank you first. And uh, for all the Romita fans who have never read those books, 
there is at least one great uh, series of interview called John Romita and All That Jazz, which is uh, available from the fine guys from Tomorrow's Publishing. Yes. And it's well worth getting and reading because it has a, a, a lot of insightful comments that I shared with you today and, uh, and in the previous episodes. Perfect. Yeah, great reading. It's uh, it's always it's always good. I've I've tried to get an interview with Romita. He's getting up there in age, and he says that mm. he doesn't really do interviews anymore. Um, so that's that's really too bad. But uh, but yeah, thankfully he has done many interviews in the past, which are are available uh, to yeah. us to to enjoy and learn from. Okay, perfect. Let's say goodbye to all of our listeners. Goodbye, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Take care.